Are you looking for healthy, low-carb snacks but are wary of all the bad choices out there? Then let me introduce you to Adapt. Low-carb, including the Adapt Keto line you're probably already familiar with, as well as an exciting new line called Adapt Protein. Adapt Nutrition was inspired by low-carb researcher and practitioner Dr. Eric Westman, who knows compliance is the biggest challenge his patients face. Having healthy and convenient on-the-go snack options available that are delicious, low-carb, nutrient-dense, and gluten-free is a must. They also take great care to make sure their products contain no added sugars, trans fats, soybean, or canola oils, and include a whopping 12 grams of healthy saturated fats. The new Adapt Protein Bar has a smooth, chewy texture, and they come in several mouth-watering flavors, including peanut butter, cinnamon swirl, chocolate brownie, and cookies and cream. Get your Adapt Keto and Adapt Protein Bars today at adaptyourlife.com and be sure to use the coupon code Jimmy Loves Adapt at checkout to get 10% off your order at Adapt Low Carb their mantra is adapt and thrive so start thriving today at adaptyourlife.com Are you seeking to be in nutritional ketosis and need a pain-free, inexpensive, and non-invasive way to determine whether or not you are effectively burning fat for fuel? Then get your hands on the FDA-registered Class 1 medical device called Ketonics. It's a breath analyzer you can use thousands of times to test for the presence of acetone, the primary ketone body in the breath. It's been developed by a Swedish engineer with epilepsy as an alternative to the failed urine ketone strips and the expensive blood ketone strips. Ketonics is the first and best way to test for nutritional ketosis in the breath. Plus, you'll be able to chart your readings into convenient data to customize your ketogenic diet to you. Get your hands on the Ketonics 2015 in red or blue in North America for $150 at ketonics.co or get your Ketonics in the rest of the world at ketonics.com. Coming up in episode 1247, Amy Berger. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the LL Cool J of podcasting Jimmy Moore hey hey guys we're back here on the Live and La Vida low carb show with Jimmy Moore and today I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast yet again a lady by the name of Amy Berger she's a U.S. Air Force veteran who now specializes in using a low carbohydrate diet to help people reclaim their vitality through eating delicious, wholesome foods and teaching them that achieving vibrant health does not require starvation, deprivation, or living at the gym. And I love her motto. It's real people need real food. She has a blog, tuitnutrition.com, T-U-I-T, nutrition.com. She writes about a wide range of health and nutrition-related topics, such as insulin, metabolism, weight loss, and thyroid function. But she's here today, you guys, because you might remember when Amy was on before, we talked about a book that she had written, self-published at that time. Well, now she's got the real deal. She's got a publisher who uh, actually is helping her out, get the word out about 
her book called The Alzheimer's Antidote, Using a Low-Carb, High-Fat Diet to Fight Alzheimer's Disease, Memory Loss, and Cognitive Decline. Amy Berger, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jimmy. And um, for your listeners, the, the big thing that has happened since last time, besides my book actually being a real book now, is that you and I got to meet in person finally after finally. all these years. <laughs> Where was that? In Jimmy, you guys listening? Tampa? Yeah, Tampa at the Ketogenic Conference. But to you guys listening out there, Jimmy Moore, give the best, warmest hugs ever. <laughs> I've been told that, so... Well, welcome back. And yeah, uh, congratulations on getting the book uh, with a publisher. Uh, Chelsea Green is your publisher. Uh, Tell us how that happened. Um, it was a stroke of very good luck okay. uh, on, on my part, I guess. My my book was available as this little PDF on my own website and my friend Ellen's website, Ellen Davis, whom you know from Ketogenic Diet Resource. Yep. Well, the people at Chelsea Green Publishing um, kind of have their finger on the pulse and they see the potential of the ketogenic diet to do you know, so many of the things that you and I or your listeners know it does. And they're kind of publishing a suite of ketogenic oriented books. Um, Mine among them, they are the U.S. distributor for Patricia Daly and Uh Dominique Kemp's Ketogenic Kitchen Cookbook uh, and a couple of other books. But um, they found my book on Ellen's site, I think, and approached me saying that they wanted to help me bring this information to the masses and it, it really landed on my lap which is almost unheard of i mean this is i'm never going to be this lucky again with a book <laughs> well it's certainly uh great to see that the message is getting out there uh, I, I think and my publisher's doing the same thing they're coming out with about a dozen different ketogenic uh, friendly books this coming year as well and so it seems like keto has just kind of come on the scene strong uh, almost all of a sudden. Now, you and I have been out in this community for a little while. What do you what's your theory as to why it's on the comeback trail? Um, that's a good question. I I ask a few. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, imagine that. Um, it, it's almost like you have some experience doing this. I've had a little experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why. If I had to guess, I could say maybe it's just that. For all the negative aspects of social media, one of the good aspects is that helpful information is able to be shared and disseminated so much more quickly than ever before, basically in human history. So when you have so many people, you know, anecdotally, but reporting how much weight they've lost or that um, their blood pressure is better, their blood sugar is better, you know, so many things improving, other people start to get curious, like maybe I should try keto, maybe I should try low carb. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think we are approaching, but we haven't reached yet. We are approaching the tipping point where even the mainstream medical community is not going to be able to deny this any longer and stifle it any longer. Yeah, we're not there yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, we have some work to do, but it's um, it is spreading. Definitely. Well, I have a theory as to what's going on. I think the fact that this is no longer just a weight loss diet, because when Atkins came along and they started talking about the K word. Uh, it was almost exclusively, oh, okay, that's for weight loss. That's for weight loss. That's for weight loss. And now we're seeing, oh, that's for weight loss. That's for blood sugar control. That's to help uh, control the the di- type 2 diabetes. That's to help with cancer. That's to help with exercise performance. You And uh, your topic, that's to help with brain health. I think because you have so many angles that it helps with, you have a wider pull of people that are saying, oh, my gosh, have you tried the keto diet? 
Yeah, that's um that's probably part of it. And and at that conference you and I were at, I was so encouraged and so heartened because oftentimes, even though we've been at it as long as we have, we're still on the fringe. We still feel like this is an outside movement. It's a very small movement. Um, But then you go there and you see MDs and PhDs and people that are really, really at the top of their field talking about how promising this is and how important this is. And this isn't snake oil. This isn't a bunch of, you know, uneducated sort of people speculating. I mean, this is the top, top research. Like this isn't a joke. It's just, it's a very small community right now, but this is growing like wildfire. You know what it is? It's just old guard can't let go of their belief system. I I think that, you know, they've heard the K word for so long and they've equated it with the other K word ketoacidosis for so long. I I think they've started to believe their own lies. And yet the general public is like, hey, look, I've tried this. I'm okay. I'm I'm still here. (laughs) And so I I think when real people gave it a go and it, it was so funny when I had to convince my publisher to publish Keto Clarity. Uh, back in 2014, they thought it was not going to be a commercial success. They're like, well, it's wow. a niche of a niche of a niche. And I'm like, you're wrong. I, I think it's we're on the cusp of this really getting big. And now here we are three years later, and it's huge. It's, it's huge. And I think part of the pushback is also, um, you know, if... If the mainstream medical community accepts that this diet is as powerful as it is, it forces them to reevaluate everything they have been telling the public for the past half century, if not more. And we are never going to get the massive mea culpa apology, except, you know, acceptance of, of responsibility that we deserve from, from the, you know, the AMA, the ADA, all these different organizations. They really can't at this point, Amy, right? Well, they, they can't, but somebody ought to say at least, you know, not personally, like, like the head of these organizations doesn't have to accept personal responsibility, but at least to say, you know, there's new findings. Some of our interpretation of the science may have been incorrect. Like, I just, I, I feel like we deserve that. We're never going to get it. But I feel like that that is what's holding a lot of them back, too. Because by acknowledging how powerful a very high-fat diet is, it really um, forces someone somewhere to say, oh, my God, we yeah. may have actually had a hand in creating this disaster in the first place. Well, and especially with the history that's now coming out, we saw that New York Times article that came out last year. Uh, pretty much exposing how Harvard researchers were paid off 50000 in today's dollars, $50,000, to downplay the role that sugar was playing in the diet and making fat the enemy. And and then one of those Harvard researchers goes on to, you know, help develop what would become the U.S. dietary guidelines. And so I think if we acknowledge history and say, you know what, we made a mistake. We did it with slavery. I mean, Mm -hmm. and not that this is as bad as slavery, but it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's never too late to tell the truth. It's never too late to accept responsibility. And but okay, like the damage is done. Let's move on. Let's let's move forward in the direction we know is better. Yeah. So let's turn to the subject of your book, and that is Alzheimer's disease and, and brain health in general. You know, and a lot of people, uh, when they come to keto and they don't have a weight problem, a lot of people say, you know, I want to do this because I've heard so much great information about how it does boost your brain health, stabilizes your mood, 
um, helps with the memory, all kinds of things. I almost forgot that one helps with the memory. Uh, just kidding. Uh, and then of course, <laughs> dementia and Alzheimer's disease, uh, helping to control those things. You know, is that a good enough reason alone to do a ketogenic diet? Uh, I think it is. Duh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? I, I, I do think though that many people, if they grew up in a healthy dietary environment, and if, if they are not insulin resistant, not everybody is going to require a super strict ketogenic diet to have healthy cognitive, you know, healthy cognition and to, to just get fuel to the brain. I mean, because if, they don't if you're need not, it, right? Well, I mean, everybody needs fuel to the brain, but yeah, some what people will not. What I mean is not- it's probably easier for them to get ketones in the brain being insulin sensitive than if they were insulin resistant. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. If you're insulin sensitive and healthy, you could probably just do a relatively, I would say relatively low carb diet or kind of manage your blood sugar and insulin. Whereas, of course, plenty of other people will require a much stricter um, intervention. Yeah. And and this is the thing that people always like to criticize about ketogenic diets. Oh, you want everybody on a ketogenic diet. No, I want everybody healthy. I want everybody's inflammation levels down. I want everybody to be able to naturally control their insulin and their blood sugar levels without thinking about it. Unfortunately, most people walking around, they don't know what their blood sugar level is. They don't know what their insulin level is. I just did a conference. I spoke at a conference and I mentioned inflammation levels and testing with an HSCRP or a homocysteine or an IGF-1 or any of those key markers. And I asked the audience, how many of you know your inflammation levels? And I would say it was less than 5%. Right. It's disgusting. I mean, you have to know these things so you prevent Alzheimer's and and brain health and and worse. And right. And knowing some of these things might point you toward the fact that you do need a low carb or ketogenic diet because, you know, so many people will probably... they think low carb and they automatically think weight loss. They, well, I'm, I'm at a healthy weight. I don't need low carb, but it has nothing to do with the weight in many cases. It could be brain health. It could be fertility. It could be hypertension. So many other things that happen in people of all shapes and sizes. Okay, Amy, I'm going to let you get all nerdy with us here. So tell us mechanistically what is going on up in that noggin when you shift your body from being a sugar burner Um, And why is a sugar burner so harmful to the brain over to being a fat burner? And what does that fat burning and the production of ketones do to help heal a damaged brain? Go. Okay. Well, um, (laughs) in Alzheimer's specifically, the main problem seems to be that neurons in affected areas have lost the ability to get energy from glucose. Um, It's basically a fuel crisis in the brain. So these neurons kind of shrink and atrophy and, and at the end stages, they will die. Um, And in most people eating a mixed diet, meaning containing carbohydrate, fat, protein, and mostly carbohydrate, um, glucose is the main fuel for the brain. But the brain is very adaptable. You know, the brain has to be adaptable because it, it, it can't, it can't be compromised if there's a lack of, of a certain type of fuel. It has to be able to use a lot of different fuels. And uh, one of the fuels that it really, really thrives on is ketones. So, um, you know, people will generate ketones at a very, very low level most days, you know, especially if they wake up in the morning and if, if it's been several hours since they had and they, they went to sleep several hours after their last meal. By the time in the morning, if they're insulin sensitive, they'll have a very, very low level of ketones. But there's really not enough ketones 
to power the brain unless you're taking deliberate action to produce them in your body or by taking exogenous ketones in some cases. Uh, and, and that only happens when you cut dramatically back on carbohydrate and, and for some people cut back a little bit on protein. Um, and what that does is it doesn't just fundamentally change the way your body and your muscles are getting fuel, but it changes your brain's dependence on glucose. When when you have high ketone levels, it's not that the brain doesn't need glucose. It still needs some, but it needs a lot less. Well, um, and it can produce that glucose from sources and uh, non-carbohydrate sources. I think sometimes people say, oh, we have glucose dependent uh, properties in the body that need glucose. You're right. But you don't have to eat glucose and, and, and carbohydrates that would turn to glucose because the body has a very natural way to make glucose out of other things. Correct, right. The, the body's need and the brain's need for glucose does not mean there's a need for dietary carbohydrate. It doesn't mean you have to drink applesauce and eat pasta. Uh, we can, like you said, we can convert many, many other things into glucose as needed when the brain needs it and the body needs it. Although some people would love the applesauce and pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they're not yummy, but if, if you're trying to have healthy brain function, that yes. stuff is probably not the best. Want to enjoy a sweet cookie and still stay in ketosis? Two friends did just that with Keto Cookie. Christopher and Victor went on the ketogenic diet, lost fat, and felt amazing. But they wanted something sweet and convenient for their busy lifestyle. So they created Keto Cookie and now want to share this sweet satisfaction with you. Is this really keto? Low Carbers tested Keto Cookie with their glucose monitors and were amazed by the results. How is this possible? Keto Cookie is made with non-GMO almond flour, is naturally sweetened with erythritol and monk fruit extract, and has a healthy amount of grass-fed butter, coconut oil, and MCT oil to fuel your day. With less than 2 grams of net carbs, it's the perfect on-the-go snack to keep you energized and ready to inspire the world. Enjoy your chewy childhood favorites like chocolate chip and the cinnamony snickerdoodle, gluten-free, guilt-free, and bake-free. To discover more about Keto Cookie and how two friends are inspiring people to eat smarter but sweeter, visit KetoCookie.com and be sure to use the promo code LLVLC to receive 15% off your order. And follow them on Instagram for exclusive giveaways and specials at Keto cookie have you tried the jigsaw electrolyte supreme yet it replenishes minerals b vitamins and electrolytes that are lost daily through sweat urination occasional diarrhea and exercise a live in la vida low carb show listener named trisha writes i listened to your podcast on the iphone app and have enjoyed your sponsor jigsaw health where you talked about the electrolytes lemon lime for ten dollars off with coupon code llvlc my feet and legs cramp up often even though lc HF two and a half years and then keto half year after that for three years total eating well. I wondered if the electrolytes would help so I used your coupon code. First night of drinking the mixture all day no cramps slept well and every night since. Just reordered the three pack this time saving more money and using your code once again. Thank you it really tastes good and works great. I use twice the amount of water they suggest or it's too sweet for me so I put a scoop in 16 ounces or half a scoop 
in eight ounces instead of one in eight. So join Trisha. Get Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. Head on over to lowcarbelectrolytes.com and definitely use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to save $10 off of your order. Again, it's called Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. Unfortunately, you know, it's funny how our culture has become so driven with, well, when you get older, you just naturally will decline in brain health. I I, I be danked. (laughs) When I get older, I do not want my brain health to be going down. I want it to be sharp. I'll tell you, uh, Christine and I actually just went on a Star Trek cruise in January and Bill Shatner was the guest of honor. He's 85 years old now. Wow. And he was so, so sharp. Now, I'm not saying he's ketogenic, but there's something in his genetics or something, you know, 85 years old, and he is still sharp as a whip. Uh, it was truly amazing watching him. Yeah, I think um, to some degree in a lot of people, when we get to very, very advanced age, you know, some slight cognitive decline is probably to be expected, but we're not, you know, with Alzheimer's and and the precursor called mild cognitive impairment, we're not talking about very, very elderly people. We're talking about people in their 50s and 60s. That's why this is such a huge issue now. You know, um, like I said, we might we might expect a little bit of cognitive decline in very advanced years, but but in the younger years, there's something else going on. There's a reason this condition is so much more prevalent now. And it's there are, there are certain genetic risk factors for this condition, but our genes haven't changed that much in the last hundred years. Is it environmental? Um, there might be environmental toxins contributing to impaired metabolism in the brain. You know, they've looked at, at uh, aluminum, obviously, they've looked at lead. Um, if we had to go for that Occam's razor principle, like what is the most obvious, simplest mm-hmm. explanation for this? It's it's the the hyperinsulinemic diet of the last you know sixty years or so. It's that we have inundated our bodies and our brains with carbohydrate, and it's almost as if the brain is is telling us, "I don't want any more glucose. Please give me something else." Wow. So, is it safe to say a five hour GTT with insulin fasting, insulin levels uh, would be the best predictor of someone? getting Alzheimer's down the road? That would help. I don't know if it's the best predictor. Certainly, it would give you a lot of information. And if you're, you could have a fasting insulin test because if your fasting insulin is elevated, you already know there's a problem and you don't even need the oral glucose tolerance test with insulin. What would be considered elevated? Good question. Um, 10? Probably, yeah, I mean, I think once you're into the double digits, that's a red flag. Some, some people will say they want to see it under five. Some yeah. people will say under seven. But you're, if you're in the double digits, that's a warning sign. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if it's, if it's elevated, you know there's a problem. If it's not elevated, but you have maybe some other signs and symptoms or some of your other blood work is showing you might have high insulin, then you might want to do that, that oral test with, with the insulin assay. Sure. So... We're talking a lot about prevention. What happens once, and I'm, I know a lot of people listening to have a family member who has Alzheimer's or the early onset Alzheimer's or dementia or just starting to lose uh, some of their faculties about them. At what point is the point of no return? Uh, good question. I don't think there is a point of no return. I don't really? think it's ever. Well, 
I mean, I'm speculating, but I think that someone of very severe disease state and very advanced age is not going to have the same kind of potential recovery right. as somebody who's younger and, and whose disease is not as severe. But I don't think that's a reason to not try anything because, you know, if you, if somebody has smoked for 30 or 40 years, wow, their lungs are really damaged. They're really sick. They're really unhealthy. Well, I guess they might as well just keep smoking then, right? There's no mm -hmm. benefit to them yeah. putting that cigarette out and quitting for good. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever too far gone. I think if we can get ketone levels elevated, even in the people that are very severely demented, um, it, it might not reverse the condition, it might not undo the damage, but it might help them in the short term. It might improve their cognition, you know, just temporarily, but we shouldn't discount the importance of that. I mean, that could improve not only that patient's quality of life, but even more so the quality of life of their caregivers and their loved ones. So even if they still do progress and eventually, you know, unfortunately pass away from this condition, we can make it a little more pleasant. And I, I, I don't think we should consider that, you know, not, not worth doing. Right. And I would even say just insulin resistance in general, no matter where you are on that spectrum of insulin resistance, which Alzheimer's disease uh, is widely considered as type three diabetes, a very severe uh, case of uh, uh, of diabetes that's that's aff afflicting the, the brain. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, you never want to you know take away a real food solution which is what we're talking about with a ketogenic diet you know meanwhile they're trying to throw a bunch of drugs at this disease um do you see any change on the horizon with that with alzheimer's treatment being a pharmaceutical focused disease uh, uh treatment now where someday maybe just maybe they'll recognize that it's got a metabolic uh pathway as well it's um it's very heartening because I think that's starting to happen, albeit in very, very small, um, very small steps. There's Dr. Dale Bredesen's work, who I probably mentioned last time I was on your show. He is now training doctors and nutritionists all over the country in his protocol, which is a dietary and lifestyle intervention. It, it may involve some of the more common Alzheimer's drugs, but for the most part, it is a radical dietary change. It's, ex you know, more sleep, fasting exercise, meditation. It's a multi-pronged strategy, but so far, this is really the only thing that has been shown to help these people and um, to, to even reverse some of the disease process. I mean, they've, they've measured on brain scans that people's brain volume that had decreased has actually re-expanded. I mean, these, these neural connections actually grow back. Um, so I... It's very, you have to kind of be in our community. You know, there's a reason I know about it and you know about it. Um, I think the mainstream is not really aware of it yet, but hopefully it's going to get out there because, you know, Jimmy, every single drug that has been developed for this condition has been a failure. It really has uh, little to no effect on this, on the progression of the disease. As with just about every chronic disease, they've failed miserably right. because they haven't gotten to the root cause of actually what's going on which we know has a dietary and lifestyle component. Right, right. It's, um, I, th I think it's long past the time where we need to sit back and hope for that miracle drug to come because I don't think it's coming. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what happened with epilepsy. They knew the answer to controlling seizures in most epileptic children, and then they went to anticonvulsant drugs. And only now, thanks to the Charlie Foundation and others out there promoting 
the ketogenic diet for these kids, are they now finding answers? But they had to kind of wade through all this years and decades of, oh, well, these medications aren't working. Oh, well, we don't have any other answers for you when they actually did. Exactly. And that that's exactly how I feel about Alzheimer's. But I don't want to overpromise or, or make people think that you can just go on a ketogenic diet and automatically reverse Alzheimer's. It's, it's not that straightforward. But based on the biochemical mechanisms at work and based on what seems to be going wrong in the Alzheimer's brain, this is right now absolutely the most promising, uh, highest potential thing that you can do. And and it's the thing you have the most control over is yeah. your diet. You know, you can't change your genetics. You can't change your maternal history. You can change what you eat this very second. I'd love to change some genetics about my... <laughs> well, yeah, wouldn't we all? But, you know, we, we can only control so much, right. but then let's try to control those things. So I'm curious, Amy, the diet for Alzheimer's uh, disease, treating it, uh, it, is it much different than, say, just a general health-related ketogenic diet? Are you having a lot more fat and and lower protein and carbohydrate, of course? Uh, Is is it more closer to the epilepsy diet than it is a, a standard ketogenic diet? That's a good question. I actually, in my book, I recommend a couple of different strategies. I recommend that people generally start out under about 50 grams of carbohydrate. And I I don't recommend restricting protein that much because a lot of elderly people are not eating enough protein, actually. So for them to cut back from where they're already starting would not be helpful. Um, I basically tell people to gauge their um, gauge their progress. They can either measure their their blood glucose and ketones, or they can just see how the cognitive function is is progressing. Is it improving? Is it worsening? Um, they might want to tweak the diet from there. I think some some people, like we said earlier, some people will require a very very strict diet. Some people might be able to get by on slightly more carbohydrate and protein. Like even the the top dietitian at the Charlie Foundation says even for epilepsy, some kids do just fine on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. They don't even have to go fully ketogenic or some, you know, modified Atkins, something like that. Um, There are certain specific foods, though, that I would emphasize in a diet for the brain that I might not consider as important for someone who wants to lose weight or manage blood sugar. And that would be things like um, egg yolks, uh, possibly shellfish, any kind of fatty fish. They really need the omega-3s, uh, the egg yolks for the choline, the B12. Um, so foods that are that are rich in nutrients that we know the brain really needs. I was very intrigued when I saw the chapter on APOE4 because we know the heart health uh, concerns with these people and I would assume the heart health issues are related to a hyperinsulinemic state. Is that what's going on with APOE4 patients having, uh, I, I guess, having the gene for Alzheimer's disease? Is it the hyperinsulinemia? I think it's mostly the hyperinsulinemia. And right, for for anyone out there who doesn't know, that APOE4 genotype is right now the largest known genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's. Um, Now, that being said... Just any four in the number, so like a 3-4, or does it have to be a 4-4? No, you just have to be a carrier. You just have to have one copy of the four increases your risk, and having two copies increases your risk even more. Yeah. Um, But... 
the E4 genotype, it's not a death sentence because there's plenty of people that are homozygous. They have two copies of the E4 and they will not develop Alzheimer's. And of course, millions of people with Alzheimer's are not E4 carriers at all. So we know there's something going on besides the E4. But I think um, I agree with you that probably the biggest driver of, of most of the metabolic issues in the E4s is the high insulin. Yeah. Um, so I think they are not suited to a high carbohydrate diet at all. The, the frequency of this genotype in the human population is such that um, populations that have long consumed a high carbohydrate diet have less of the, the E4. Meaning, the, or I, I might have said that backward, the E4 is the, the genetic type that is least suited for high carbohydrate consumption. Yeah. It has been selected against in populations that were eating high carb. So, um, But aren't there concerns about fat with the fours as well? Yes, I was just getting to that. Oh, good, sorry. <laughs> um, the, no, no, it's cool because you, you know what you're doing. I love it. Um, the E4s seem to have what we would call the exaggerated response, specifically to saturated fat. And by yeah. exaggerated response, we mean their cholesterol goes through the roof. Uh, the LDL goes through the roof, the particle count, particle number, all that stuff. Now, that being said. Even small LDL you know, goes up too? I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. Because I think I a lot of what I've seen, Amy, it's mostly the large fluffy and it ends up as a high LDLP. But then mm -hmm. if you're eating a ketogenic diet, that small stays low. Yeah, they probably don't even measure it that much in most people. They yeah. probably don't even dig that deep. But um, but to your point, we we don't really know if if this surrogate endpoint, a much, much higher cholesterol, actually translates into hard endpoints. If, if E4s have much, much higher cholesterol, do they have more heart attacks? Do they have more strokes? Do they have more cardiovascular disease? Some literature indicates that they do. So um, I, still, I still don't think worrying about cholesterol is more important than worrying about hyperinsulin and, and risk for Alzheimer's disease. I still think the number one thing an E4 can do is cut back on carbohydrate. And you can, of course, totally do a low-carb ketogenic diet with, with less emphasis on saturated fat. If that's a concern for someone, they can do plenty of olive oil, avocado, nuts and seeds, fatty fish. You know, there's plenty of ways to do a high-fat diet without a lot of specific saturated fat. Macadamia nut oil tastes just like butter. I love that Oh, my stuff. God. It's so, it is good. It is expensive, but it's good. It's expensive, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, worth every penny. And coconut oil uh, is saturated fat. So, I guess you would have to cut that one down as well. I think, yeah, I think Dale Bredesen is, um, he, he favors MCT oil over the coconut oil because I think it's maybe just less lauric acid, you know, right. may maybe it's considered just a little bit lower in total saturated fat. Sure. So, you know, I, I wrote a book about fasting last year, so I have to bring up uh, where you mentioned fasting uh, for boosting ketones and letting the brain, and I love how you put this, clean house. <laughs> uh, and it, is it some of the autophagic properties of fasting that, that is helping to clean the house? I think it is. Um, when, we, when we sort of give the body a break, when we have a lot less energy going toward digestion, then the body's able to sort of clear out some of this old debris and recycle worn out cellular parts. And with Alzheimer's specifically, um, the, these infamous amyloid plaques that accumulate in the brain, which are not really causing the disease, but they, they make it worse. They're an exacerbating factor. These um, plaques are... are cleared away, first of all, much more easily when we sleep. They have a diurnal pattern, which means they just, they, they 
they're, the body clears them away better when we sleep. Yeah. But what also happens when we sleep, generally speaking, insulin levels will be lower. But the, I mean, yeah, the beauty of fasting is that um, these amyloid plaques, oddly enough, are cleared away by an enzyme called insulin degrading enzyme. And, and that sounds like exactly what it is. It's the same enzyme that clears away insulin. You know, once a hormone does its job, it can't just stay in the bloodstream forever. So this insulin degrading enzyme clears away insulin. So when you have a hyperinsulinemic person, all of this insulin degrading enzyme is too busy dealing with the insulin to go after these amyloid proteins that form the plaques. So when you're fasting and your insulin levels come way, way back down, now all of a sudden this enzyme has the opportunity to go after these proteins and clear them out. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned uh, exogenous ketones. Are there any studies using exogenous ketones looking at Alzheimer's disease yet? Yes, actually, most of the studies that have looked at the the therapeutic implications of ketones for Alzheimer's are done with exogenous ketones. And I think part of that is maybe just proof of concept, you know, it's a lot easier to give people a ketone supplement than it is to get them to adhere to a ketogenic diet. Well, you know, the ketones go up when they drink it. (laughs) Right, right. Like, you know, they're effective, you know, somebody will be in a in a ketotic state, even if they're not producing the ketones themselves. So yeah, um, it's very promising. Most people, not all, but most people show significant improvement in cognition when their ketones are higher. Um, And I think, so the exogenous ketones can be extremely helpful for this condition, but I think they don't actually do much to change what's causing the disease process in the first place, right? right. They, they, can, they can improve your cognition in the short term because finally your brain cells are getting this great fuel that they can use. Whereas I think the, the diet and the other lifestyle interventions I mentioned in my book will actually go some way toward reversing the pathology. Now, I don't want to discount the importance of these exogenous ketones. I mean, it's, it is really hard to get someone with impaired cognitive function to do anything, let alone make a radical change in their diet. So I think there's definitely, um, definitely a place for those exogenous ketones in this condition, but I wouldn't want it to be the sole intervention to the extent that somebody can change their diet, do both change the diet and take the ketones. Yeah, that's my position too. do both, especially when yeah. you're doing it therapeutically for cancer or for Alzheimer's. You know, you, you need that uh, ratio between uh, what is it? Ketone and glucose ratio to be like one to one. So in order to achieve that, it can actually be helpful if you're already pretty ketogenic in your diet, you know, to see this boost from the exogenous sources Um you know, to get you there. And of course, if you're doing it nutritionally, your blood sugar is going to go down to that level where it does reach that one to one. So I see it as nothing but a good thing as an adjunct to the low carb, moderate protein, high fat diet that uh, that we're talking about here today. Yeah. And, and for Alzheimer's, especially, you know, there are going to be people who are they're just very, uh, very old and their disease is very severe. You are not going to get them to change their no, diet. There's just no way. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they're belligerent and they're confused and you yeah. can't just all of a sudden give them eggs and coconut oil. So for those cases, do the ketones. If you, if, if you can only do one thing, do the, do the ketones. If you can't get them to change their, their diet, I still think the ketones will help. And the beautiful thing is then these uh, satiating properties of that ketosis, the ketones in their body starts to make them uh, not want to eat all of that crap, 
you know, anymore, almost spontaneously, at least that's the goal. You, you hope that once they kind of start using these that uh, naturally they go, you know, I don't really need the oatmeal anymore. How about eggs with coconut oil? And yeah, so crossing fingers anyway. Yeah, that's that's what we would hope for. <laughs> Well, I love the outline of the book. Uh, it's, it's done in four parts and then a conclusion. So part one, you kind of lay the foundation for uh, how this is a metabolic disease, Alzheimer's. Part two, you give a nutritional uh, strategy for restoring brain health. Part three, you have the lifestyle factors. I'm really glad you put that in there because people like to focus on the diet, but it's not just about the diet. Uh, with Alzheimer's or any chronic disease for that matter. And then part four, how to set yourself up for success. And then you conclude uh, with why Alzheimer's is on the rise and how to repair a broken brain. Again, her name, Amy Berger, the name of the book we've been talking about here today, The Alzheimer's Antidote, Using a Low-Carb, High-Fat Diet to Fight Alzheimer's Disease, Memory Loss, and Cognitive Decline. And you're at tuitnutrition.com, right, Amy? That's right. T-U-I-T nutrition.com. And thanks so much for joining us again here today on the Live in La Vida Low-Carb Show. Thank you, Jimmy. Take care. Coming up next time on the Live in La Vida Low-Carb Show, we welcome back Dr. David Perlmutter to talk about his latest book, Grain Brain Whole Life Plan. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Light.